Uh, thank you, Bobby, for reading from John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you speak to us through the message recorded for us in the Bible, which is the Word of God. And we thank you that your Word is alive, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's got a sender like a knife would between the bone and the marrow. It cuts our hearts and discerns the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a lamp and the light. We thank you the entrance of your word brings light. Uh, this morning we are saying we are listening. We ask that you will speak to us and you will touch us. You will transform us that we might live. Live knowing that you know us and we know you. And we want to live for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today we have read from John's Gospel and uh, context. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was one of Jesus' favorite disciples. I know that there are children today, so I'll speak to both of you. I'll try. So John had 12 disciples and this was special. You know, we all have special friends, don't we? So Jesus also had his special friends. He had a circle of four, which was Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Peter, James, okay, all, all four of them. Then he had a special group of just made up of two, John and Peter. And John was one of his favorites. It's not that Jesus was, didn't like the rest. No, he liked all of them. But, you know, sometimes one person reaches out more to you. It's like, you know, it's like, like, let me just put it this way. I often compare myself as I come and knock on your door. If you open the door, I'll come in. If you don't open, I'll come again and knock it another time. And I say, if you're free, that's fine. You, you get the picture? So sometimes we have to open the door. Or I would say it's a bit like, if you want to use another analogy, since many of you look like you've traveled far and wide, when you go into different countries, you've got an immigration officer who looks at you, and if he says, welcome, you can go in. If he says no, you have to take the next flight back home. You, you get the picture? So it's a bit like that. And you can try again to come, you know? So you keep those things in mind. So, but anyway, John was the closest of Jesus' disciples and uh, John was the one who probably died last. He was a very old man and he's seen the church in action for about 50 years. The church had spread, the message had spread. And he was quite keen to write to the Christians that their faith might be consolidated by writing the things that Jesus his identity is none other than the Son of God or Christ. 
so that they might believe. So even as I speak today, my desire is the same as John's, that as you hear the story, you might believe. Jesus sometimes spoke to large crowds. At other times he met one-on-one. -on -one. So this is that one-on-one -on -one meeting today we are talking about. First inference is Jesus wants to meet with you personally. He wants to engage in conversation with you and he wants to meet you and, and help you to discover the most important need of your life and to answer it. So here's, here John is recording for us. There was a man by name of Nicodemus. He came to Jesus by night. Who was Nicodemus? He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was, so let me say a few things about it. He was a man of moral standing. He was a very knowledgeable man. He was a kind and considerate man in that when he came to Jesus, he called him rabbi. He was knowledgeable because he spoke about scripture. He said, you know, in this, he wanted to find out more things. He wanted to engage in religious conversation. He was also a powerful leader. In, he was a leader of a synagogue, probably, or even a member of the Sanhedrin. So he comes to Jesus by night and he's engaging in religious conversation. Jesus cuts the chase and tells him, points out his greatest need. You know, sometimes I engage in conversation. I talk with little children to older people. I ask them what their dreams are, their plans are. You know, when, when, when we were, when my boys were in school, if you ask them the question, sometimes they their friends used to come home for tea. I asked them, what would you like to be when you grow up? Their immediate answer was rich and famous. I, th I didn't know there was a career called rich and famous. We live in a celebrity culture and the world constantly tells us what we need. You need that new phone. You need that new car. You need this, this holiday which you can't afford. You need that house. You need this, this woman. You need that man. There's always this needs, needs, and the world is constantly pointing out to you, this is what you need. You need this. If you, I really need it, mommy. I really need it, dad, dad. Please send money if you're a student, you know. I need this new thing. Maybe Jimmy Choo shoes, who knows. So you, there's lots of things crying out for attention and here his conversation was slightly religious. But Jesus cuts the chase and points out his greatest need and he says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Do you know that is the greatest need of your lives? You need to be born again. Some of your children are probably that tall. Some of your children are taller than you, ma'am. Nicodemus is thinking like, how is this possible for a man to get back into his mother's womb and to be born a second time? That's simply, say, impossible. It's impossible. And he's saying, no comprendo. 
He's saying all this and he, he, he's, he's, he's trying to work it out. And then Jesus says, you need to be born of water and of the Spirit. You need to be born again, then you shall see the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? It means God initiates something. God has his children in his mind long before we were ever born. And God is calling you by name. He's engaging in a conversation through his spokesman today. And he's saying to you, your greatest need is to be born again. I'm initiating something within you. I'm causing your spirit to get, become alive towards the things of God. You know, when we, I have got two boys, they're grown, grown men. They did not have a say in their birth, but we did, my wife Claire and I did. Similarly, God had the say in this new birth. What does he do? He quickens your spirit and suddenly you come alive and you think like, whoa, what God thinks matters. And you also become aware of your sin. And you suddenly feel this need for a savior. And who is that savior? God sent his Christ, Jesus, to die for your sins. He was buried. On the third day he rose again. Seen by many witnesses. Ascended into heaven. Poured out his presence upon his people. Interceding for his people. Preparing a place for his people, coming back for his people. Like your earthly parents, means, you know, they want to give some things to your children. This is God's gift for his children. And in the meantime, he wants you to enjoy his presence, that his presence, the Holy Spirit of God, to come and dwell inside of us. This is what is the greatest need of every one of us here. And he's reaching out to you. So how does this process in earthly terms, in our human terms, how does it unpack? It unpacks in four points. The first point is repentance. Repentance is not just saying sorry. Sometimes Claire and I will have a kind of slightly eggy, situation and I says I would say to Claire sorry sometimes she, she might feel like my sorry is not genuine enough because I said sorry so it is not just a lip service to, repentance is not just a lip service to say sorry it is to have a sense of godly sorrow deep inside. Yes, I have sinned against God. I've sinned against human beings. I've sinned against myself. Even by my own value standards, I have broken everything. That sorrow inside. And then there is that expressed in confession. Genuinely, Lord, I am sorry. 
So when I say sorry to my wife, this is the genuine sorry, then instead of the sorry, Claire, I'm really, really sorry that I upset you. I could have been a better person. Spoken more kindly to you. That's genuine sorry. Repentance has got also one more point. Not to do it again. That's the hardest bit. It's about taking a U-turn. If you have a sat nav in your car, as you say, please turn around. Please turn around. Some sat navs get even more punchy. Turn around. It's a U-turn. You're making a U-turn to say, I'm going to walk in a different direction. So repentance in one simple sentence is turning away from your sin and turning towards God. That is repentance. The second aspect is belief. Uh, you can say, what is belief? Belief is more than just a mental leaning. I believe. Belief is combined with action. That's why James says your faith is dead if there is no action to follow through. If you're a mango tree, you need to produce mangoes. Otherwise, you're just a tree. Probably a mango tree that doesn't produce fruit. What I'm trying to say here is this repentance and faith does produce fruit of a changed life. And your life is constantly changed from day after day after day after day. And you'd find your behavior changes because your heart has been changed. God's words matter to you and these things actually make change. You suddenly become a better person to be around. Okay. Belief follows through with action. The next one is be baptized. Because Jesus commanded his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And he told them, when you make them disciples, to go baptize them. What is baptism? Baptism is the, the Greek word that came to English simply is baptizo. Baptizo means to dump, to, to dunk, to submerge, to something in liquid. So what's going to happen is the person who has this, the great change in his heart because of God's spirit and suddenly he's called out and he said, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I need a savior. I've understood Jesus. You've died for my sins. And you've given me this gift of eternal life. I want to follow through with baptism. And you go into the water. And what he effectively, Apostle Paul puts it beautifully, he's saying we're dying to our old self. It's like a burial service. When you go into the water, you're going in and they're saying you're dying to your old lifestyle. And when you come up, you're saying I'm going to live with Christ for him, for his glory. Okay. And the third thing, and the fourth thing is reception of God's spirit. God's spirit comes to reside in every believer. 
The order of things may not be one, two, three, four, as I said. It might be the time before even baptism, God's presence has come to reside in you and you're following it through with the waters of baptism. So today, if you say that you believe in Jesus and you've never ever been baptized, my challenge to you is, why not? So this born-again process, I earlier mentioned Jesus died for our sins. In, that, in John's Gospel, in John chapter 3, it talks about a couple of points I want to just touch on. One is where he, where he says in verses 14 and 15, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What's that all about? It's from a story of the children of Israel when they were wandering around in the wilderness and they were in Edom, in the land of Edom, that is modern day Jordan. And when they were going through, they were complaining. The story is found in Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 to 9. They were complaining and they, in, in, in effect, these were God's children. They had experienced God and then they were complaining that God, you're not doing your job good enough. They were, they were becoming the moral assessors and surveyors. They were doing what you call a appraisal for God. God, you've been a bit delayed in bringing food. I don't like this kind of food. Don't you know I like garlic and cucumber? There are the orders. They're complaining. It's okay to make your request known to God, but never complain. Imagine, my wife is a good baker today, we'll have some of our cakes upstairs. And she makes this cake and say, Claire, it's not airy enough. I think it's a bit dense. Oh, I don't think it's sweet enough. Oh, that's too sweet. Is that nice? Or you invite her to somebody's house. Say I was invited to Pete's house. And Pete made me a nice lunch. I say, oh, what's that leaf? Pete says, a rocket. Oh, I don't like rockets. He says, then he brings me a pudding. And he says, here's some Haagen-Dazs ice cream or something. He says, oh, I don't like Haagen-Dazs. I like only Ben and Jerry's, you know. If you were complaining, it's not nice. And these people were complaining, complaining, complaining. And they were, in other words, they were doing exactly, they wanted to establish their own morality. They wanted to say what is right in their sight, what is their taste, their preference. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Serpent. There's a picture of a serpent in the Garden of Eden. The picture of a serpent here. He said, well, you don't want me? You can have it. You want to make your own morality? You can have it. In English, there's a phrase, nice phrase. You make your bed, you lie in it. That's what exactly happened. And the serpent was binding them. And Moses interceded. Moses is the mediator of the covenant. And he interceded. And God told him, make a bronze serpent. Put it on a pole. And everyone who looks at that pole, if they are bitten, you can look and live. 
when Jesus was speaking this to Nicodemus, in that same sentence he said, the Son of Man will be lifted up on the cross or on a pole, just like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, who are bitten, who are dying, they can look and live. My message to you, he said the Son of Man, that aspect is again, just one second, let me just finish this point fast. Jesus is, has been lifted up. And if you look to him as your saviour and call on his name because God's moving in your heart. Today if you believe, you can be saved. Nicodemus was trying to understand all this and he said, Son of man, what, what is a son of man? Actually, Nicodemus, I told you, was a religious leader. He was knowledgeable in scripture. So he knew exactly what son of man he was referring to. The Messiah that's going to come in Daniel, the book of Daniel. Chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. So he knew. Now the big question is, did Nicodemus become a Christian? That's a biggie, isn't it? Yes, he did. You'd find later on in John's Gospel... You'll find in John chapter 19, verses 39 and 40. Nicodemus, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths and spices, as is the custom of the Jews. He became a believer. He became a child of God. My challenge today to you, your head. Maybe you may not respond today. Maybe you would. I don't know. If you don't respond today, it's not the end of the road. Nicodemus took some time, but he did. God's for you. He's calling you by name. He wants you. To accept this free gift that he's offering to you. Can't work for it. He's not choosing you because you're clever, you're smart, you're good, but because he is determined to do so. In a moment, I'm going to invite Callum and ask him his story in the form of an interview. Shall we pray first? Father, we thank you so much that you have caused us to be born again by your Holy Spirit. And your spirit resides in us, reminding us we are your children and you are our heavenly father and you're a good, good father and you want to do good things for us. We want to share this good news with our friends. And we ask that you bless Callum as he obeys and takes a step, goes public with his faith, there's a great change in me. There's a great change in me. A change which will bear fruit in the days to come. We ask for all listeners. They will meet with you and you will meet with them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Callum, can I have you over here? Yes, I'll switch it on. How do you do that? Hello, it's Callum. I'm a second year undergraduate at the University right now. And so, how did you hear about us? 
Um, so a few few months ago, I was I've never been like in faith before or whatever. Um, I was just taken to this event at the Christian Union. Um, basically, there was a talk, and then um, afterwards there was upstairs of the final church thing. I wasn't really the attendance go to that. So who but, invited you? Um, one of my friends okay. um, from from uni. Okay. And yeah, basically I went. I just like, why not? Because I was there anyway. So I just went to that fine church, and again, had no intention of going to the church. I was just, you know, just talking around and seeing and seeing what's up. Do you remember seeing any of us, Michael and Emily, or me, or anybody um, else? No. I. We didn't stand out. We didn't stand out. Okay. We got to do work on our image a bit more next time. Slick gel. Um, yeah, no, but um, I was just going around talking to people there, and I thought people just seem interesting in it. And I do remember talking to you, I think. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Okay, that's a relief. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I had a little conversation with you, and then um, I just moved on. I got the freebies, got the, got the little card, the business card, the cornerstone. Um, yeah, I went around getting freebies from all the churches. They had better freebies, didn't they? They were mugs mm. and, yeah, um, went home that night and again had no intention of coming to church. But um, I had the business card from Constant, so I thought it was, it's just around the corner for me, so I just picked it up on my, on my little pinboard. And yeah, a few days later, um, I just like caught a glance of it and I was like, why not just you know just pop up, see 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 what's going on around Constant. So yeah, one Sunday I just came along to one of the services and there was free food up for the service. For the students, yeah. 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 Um, and we do today as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you've actually, you keep bringing up like stories of people who come just for the food and they end up coming for a food for a year and then eventually yeah. come But um, yeah, no, I just came for the food, it was good vibes, good talk. And yeah, I just kept coming and coming. And I wouldn't say that I'll, I wouldn't call myself Christian to um, a few months in, mm. I feel. Uh, at some point, there was this event of the Christian Union at the university. Weekend away. The weekend away, yeah. And I feel like that was the point where I felt close to God. Um, again, I wouldn't. I don't think that's like, a diff- like that is one of the final points, but I wouldn't say that's the like, turning point. Um, I don't think there's like a certain turning point where I would like go and just say, oh, I'm Christian. But um, yeah, it was just like a um, just collection of all these events together. Um, yeah, like. And, and what would you say today, Jesus is to you? Um, he died for our sins, and um, you know, he rose again. His story, I think, the story is true. And makes sense and resonates to you as he's your saviour. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to share with? Um, any letters? Anything? Any promise? Uh, um, I would say that did you have a? I mean, you said it was a journey. You had a friend in in A levels who was a Christian, wasn't she? Um, no, my first year. First year. Okay, first year. Yeah, yeah. my friend um, Debbie. Uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I've never I've never been. Like had any association with Christianity. Um, in my first year, I was. Um, I've, I've always been interested in the whole topic like, of religion and faith. 
um, because in during my GCSEs I studied RS and I just found it interesting. Not that I was ever like interested in pursuing. I just thought the whole idea of it was interesting, and that people um, had had such strong faith in things, mm. and not even just specifically Christianity, but with also other religions. I thought um, it was very interesting how people had like such strong faith and belief. And um, you were challenged by particularly Debbie's. Or you were had interest. I had interesting conversations with her okay. um, uh, for uh, like a few nights, like some nights. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't think yeah. she ever would have like, expected me to. Yep. So you can see something here. Your conversation could lead someone to inquire more, and you can see that is a journey. And just going to, because we are pressed for time and we need to eat and stuff. Uh, so I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions, direct questions. Um, so do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. yes. You believe that he died for your sins and was buried and was raised on the third day? Uh -huh. And you have a change that's happened in your life? Mm -hmm. And you're going to live for him? Okay. There you are. Uh, and he will have plenty more to tell. Meet him during the lunch break and ask him questions and he'll tell and uh, now what we're going to do is I'm going to ask Mike to come and to pray for Callum and then uh, we're going to have announcements and during that time Mike and I will go and do a quick change and then we'll come back. Okay Mike, over to you. Father we thank you for Callum. We thank you Lord for the fellowship that we have with him but we thank you, Lord, that he's reached out to you. And, Lord, from this point, he will be having fellowship with you also. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that whatever we are, whoever we are, however bad we've been in the past, Lord, when we come to you, that's washed away, and we're a new person. And so, Father, as we baptise Callum, few moments, Lord, he will rise a new person in a new direction. Father, be his strength, be his joy, be his peace, be his guide in life. All these things, Lord, you're waiting to do. So, Father, we just give you thanks. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives. And we thank you for your blessing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Callum. I'll call you back in a minute.